welcome to the Tahi with Malo and Evie. It is still Cook Island Language Week. Should I open with Kia ora, which is how you say hello in Cook Island Language Week. Meitaki, congratulations. Yay. You did, did good. I did okay. Yeah. You did a good yeah, intro. Yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. do, you know, you only get better at these things by trying. Thank you. Today, it is Thursday, the 3rd of August, baby. It is not the first of the month, unfortunately, but hey, we're here. We're here. We're here. Three Wait, was in. Tuesday the first of the month? Yeah, it was. We just didn't even realize. Oh, I don't even think I said the date, did I? I don't even know. But How will it, people know what day it is if I don't? Anyway, it's August 2023, just in case you forgot what year it was. We hope you're having a wonderful Thursday. Morena, good afternoon. Whenever you're listening to this, when's the ideal time to listen to a podcast? For me, I just listen on my drive on the way home. Mm. So we record the Wait, show. Wait, you listen to the podcast? Yeah, I listen to our podcast. And I'm like, <laughs> I like re-laugh at all our jokes. I'm like, oh, we're so funny. <laughs> Harry said to me the other day, he goes, I was like, oh, are you using the intro-outro bids that I made? And he goes, do not listen. And I was like, no, I'm not listening to my own podcast. Oh, I do. No, to be honest, though, I, I must say, do I catch every episode? No, sometimes I'm sick of my own voice. <laughs> sometimes I don't want to listen to myself again, you know? You know what's nice is uh, since doing a podcast, I've been able to listen to the radio again. Because when I was doing radio, I couldn't listen to it. Now I can't listen to podcasts because I'm mm. just like, Ugh. but mm. I'm listening to the radio again. I'm really, yeah, uh, really enjoying it. Top of the hour, bird sounds. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's I a love special the bird time. Sound. Um, today uh, we do have some very, very sad news. <sighs> today is Liam's last day. It is Liam's last day. Uh, it's and Liam's last show. They are um, abandoning us. Sure, ditching us. Yeah, but you know what? Live, laugh, love, Liam. Spread those wings. Yeah. Fly high, sky high even. I don't know what they say on Glee, but imagine I said something that was on Glee to be relatable to Liam. <laughs> um, but we've got heaps coming up uh, on the show today. We have a very exciting guest coming in very soon. Oh, oh yes. my God. Tony Stamp, award-winning music journalist and just apple of our eye. Is joining us very soon to talk about his new documentary about uh, house music in New Zealand in the 90s. Mm. Who else we got? Uh, we've also got Malou from Has and Malou. Awesome. Uh, she's going to be joining us very shortly, so uh, make sure you stick around for that. But first, I just want to want to share some words. Today, um, my I'm not really good at like speeches. Do a little more like, sincerity, and uh, but my um, my baby sister. Oh, how I love her. I love all my sisters. I'm very grateful to have like such wonderful sisters. But um, today it's about one of my little sisters in particular, one of my twin sisters, my little baby sister, Georgia. Um, she is making us all very proud. She has graduated. She's graduating today, actually. By the time this comes out, she's graduated uh, with a degree in nursing. Yay! Um, which is awesome. Um, all my sisters work in healthcare, like... One's a paramedic, one's studying social work, one's now a nurse, um, and our, mo- our, our mom is, a, is a, like a district health nurse, so it kind of like runs in the family, and I'm sort of like the black sheep that I'm like, oh yeah, I do entertainment, and everyone else is like, I serve society, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's so like, it's just like so strange being like an older brother and like watching your little sisters grow up and like seeing them do really cool things. Like, I remember them, like, sharing bunk beds and, like, because they're twins, like, changing color to one, like, pink, one, like, purple, and they'd, like, swap their jerseys and I wouldn't know which one's which. And, like, you know, just being, like, annoying at times and, like, here they are. They're, like, growing into these, like, really special, beautiful women who are, like... Also, like, nursing is hard. 
That's not the easiest degree to get. Healthcare like, is not fun. I couldn't do it. Let alone would be like getting into it be fun. I've watched her spend many a night pulling her hair out. Mm. Yeah, she has not enjoyed like like she. It's fulfilling, but to say it's been easy for her is, you know. But I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of her, and it's just it's it's such a cool thing. I get to go watch my little sister graduate, and I was up all night making lays last night, like ula lays, which is like lolly necklaces. And then when she walks across that stage, I'm gonna be like screaming and probably crying a little bit. Um, and I'm just I'm very proud of you, Georgia. If you're listening, I love you. Congratulations. I'm um, very cool to see someone in your family get a degree. I have a fun fact that I'm the only person in my family to not get a degree. Wow. Yeah, I'm the first one to just not get one. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, when I graduated my uh, diploma in radio broadcasting uh, at a ceremony two years after because of COVID at the Michael Fowler Centre, um, it was not packed. Um, it was it was the most, like, well-tech event you could imagine. Mm. It was amazing. I had the best time and I was very proud. And my mum is, like, crying her eyes out. Um, and then we go home and we're, like, taking photos in front of her wall where she has, like, three degrees. <laughs> and I've got my little diploma. Like, yay! <laughs> yeah. I ju- I'm, like, just realising now that most people get their diplomas, like, it's somewhere not. We did mine at a bar. I got my commercial broadcasting diploma at a bar. And that was in Tauranga? Yeah. I was going to say, that's very Tauranga. Like, <laughs> like, it was just, like, at a pub. Like, we just got... Like, there was... <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah, no, only four people from my class showed up. Oh, yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so I got a bit more attention, which I was quite stoked. <laughs> um, but at one point in that ceremony, actually, final note was someone went, yeah, the heart, and everyone started going off. Yes. And then in that moment, we realised we were all from the heart. <laughs> Hashtag relatable. Yeah. I'm joined now by none other than award-winning music journalist, host of The Sampler, and my long-term desk mate, Tony Stamp. <laughs> Welcome, Tony. Hi, Evie. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming. The Tahi. We're honoured. Tony's just released a full-length audio documentary about the house and techno scene in the 90s, and specifically two clubs in Auckland called Box and... Um, and Cause Celebrate. Cause Celeb. I keep calling it Cause Celebrate because it keeps auto-correcting to that on I my phone. I did notice that when you emailed me, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> um, it follows these two clubs, but it's really more about the explosion of house and techno in New Zealand and how it became a very thriving community today. And Tony's here to tell us all about it. Mm. Uh, give us, to start off, a bit of a rundown on the documentary and what it is. Yeah, so as you say, I focused on these two specific clubs. Um, initially, I started off having this idea of making a documentary about High Street in Auckland. That was just a bit too ambitious. And so my first interviewee was Simon Gregg, who started Box. And once I talked to him, you know, I I sort of understood that they were the... That was ground zero for the scene, so it made sense to hone in on them specifically. All these kind of satellite clubs sprung up around Box and Cause Celeb and were doing different things. Like there was Squid, that was Mikey Havoc's bar. So they were a little bit more alt-rock inspired. There was Deschler's, which was a jazz bar. There was also a cafe called Rossini's down the road. All these places were open until sort of, you know, 6 or 7 a.m. There was no 4 a.m. closing, uh, including Rossini's, this cafe. So there was a real sort of nighttime culture where you left the club, went and maybe got a coffee or a hot chocolate or something, and then went home. It was not this stumbling to a mate's house or, or whatever, you know? It was, mm-hmm. it was more sort of, um, 
I don't know, safe, nurturing, mm. uh, you know? The good old days, if you will. <laughs> so why was it important for you to just focus really niched on that house and techno thing? Is that, mm. were you there? Were you in the vibe? I mean, I was there. We can get to that later. Like, mm. all, all of these things kind of came up. Just the more people I spoke to, the more apparent all of these things became. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I asked everyone basically the exact same questions um, for that reason. And so, I mean, you know, Drum and Bass and Jungle came about around 95. They started to make themselves known. But, yeah, those first five years... It was all about house and techno, which at that time were these new genres. Roger Perry had been playing house in <clears throat> in Auckland in the 80s. But the 90s is where, you know, this, this underground scene really started to explode. It's just that exciting point where these were brand new types of music. And if you wanted to hear them, you could listen to certain radio stations, but if you wanted to experience them properly, you had to go to a club, and more specifically than that, this specific club because nowhere else was really playing it. I want to get into a little bit of how you made it, a bit of the behind the scenes, because it is very in-depth. You talk to co-owner, DJs, attendees, doormen. Like, how did you find all of these people? So I found them just by asking every person I talked to, who else should I talk to? Mm. I, I really wanted to uh, have Tim Salusi in there, who was a, a doorman at Box and who went on to become a DJ because, he, you know, he learned how to do that through Simon Gregg. Um, the records were communal because they were, you know, a rare commodity. So through that, yeah, Tim learned to be a DJ. Uh, Suwane, who was a, an, an extremely popular house DJ in Auckland, um, who sadly died, I think, 2014. Uh, that's how he learned to be a DJ. You know, I, as well as that, I just wanted to include the dorm because of the, that was such a big part of the culture. Uh, I got one of the bar staff. I tried to get more. They just saw it as this real community, you know. Usually when you listen to a documentary about a genre or the start of a genre or a scene, it's usually sort of three key players, and those are the people who performed yeah. it. But I liked that in this one we went into the people who actually made the space as well, the doorman, who mm. turned people away or let people in. That's an important part of who ended up in the room, right? It really is, and I remember going to Box, and I remember the doorman. They were little, you know, mini-celebs in that part of town. And also they had carte blanche to let people in or turn them away, and that was not due to how... Uh, how well they were dressed necessarily. They said they had people coming in with no shoes on. Mm. It was it was purely like, are you a good person? Vibe reads. Yeah. You got to pass a vibe check to get in. I think I left a bit in where they were like groups of guys. Yeah. Were frowned upon. Yeah. They, um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that because that was something I found really interesting. The documentary that everyone you spoke to um, sort of said a similar thing that was back in the back in the day, back mm. in the good old days. <laughs> it was a really diverse, really open space and. Specifically, they all mentioned that Islanders were a massive part of it and a key part of the culture. Mm. And there was that bit in there where they said that the only people that weren't really allowed in were groups of finance dudes who had got drunk <laughs> yep. after work and shown up. They said, no, you can't come in. They also all sort of said the same thing, that they don't think that the club scene specifically with house and techno is as diverse anymore. Mm. Why do you think that is? I mean, I, I can't really speak to that. Mm. I I also thought it was really interesting that 
everyone gave that answer. I think it's good to remember that, you know, pr- progress isn't always a straight line. Mm. Um, I, I do think Box and Celeb and the culture that they created, you know, that wasn't the norm. They, they were pioneering in, in some regards. And as to whether or not it's as diverse now, I mean, I'm sure there are places where it is. I think maybe what happened is that those two forms of music specifically just got so massively commercialized, mm. they became slightly whitewashed. Mm. It happens, doesn't it? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it, I sort of started thinking as well, like I, it is more mainstream now, like house and techno is it's really thriving in Auckland. You cannot open Tinder without seeing a house DJ. It's just not possible. <laughs> I think part of that also comes into, in the documentary, they talk so much about the extreme efforts they went to to get records, mm-hmm. to get cassettes, to get stuff other people didn't have. One of them was talking about they had a guy in Manchester who was, like, shipping them out records and stuff. Mm-hmm. And these days it's just not like that. I think, obviously, DJs put on a lot of work to find tracks other people don't have, mm-hmm. but it's not the same as, like, waking up at 6 in the morning to go to this location and be like, give me the one record you have. Do you think that that sort of mainstreamifying of it all has just quite made it a bit easier to be a DJ? I'm sure it's more difficult in other ways that I don't know about. Mm. That that was the bit that I really wanted to get into the doco, though. That was mm. my personal little thing that I wanted to get in. Because when I went clubbing uh, late 90s, okay, there was no internet. <laughs> there was no Shazam. You you couldn't hear these songs anywhere else. You went to a, went to a club, you heard something that you really loved, and then you're faced with two choices. Leave it try to memorize it i suppose or go up to the dj and say what is that song you just played physically write it down because you didn't have a a smartphone Mm -hmm. uh and then try to find it somehow i really wanted to get across how different that is now you know and that created communities and cultures of its own you know people congregated at record stores Uh, i think i left a bit in about people going into a record store the next day and singing the song that they heard hoping that the person working there knew what they were on about. I I had dreams crushed many times (laughs) when I just had to accept that I was never going to hear a particular song ever again, you know. Another thing I want to get into, there's some unexpected characters that pop up throughout the documentary, like Mm. Zane Lowe, um, Day Harmo, Shafu. When I think of House and Techno, I don't always think of living New Zealand treasure Shafu. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really surprised to see that pop up. Were you guys all hanging out? Were you guys all like broing up in the club? Well, you got to understand, I was like a teenager. (laughs) So I was, I crept in there at the end of the 90s. Uh, You know, honestly, I think the the heyday was in that first half of the, the decade when I was far too young to be attending. I don't think I ever saw Shay there or, or Dehamo. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting to me too, honestly, that that those guys were such a big part of its inception. As far as Shay, I think Shay was performing. It would, I guess it would have been like post Supergroove or maybe he was still in Supergroove and going solo. Dehamo, I think, was just into the sounds. Mm. Yeah. He was just vibing. And mm. um, what were the outfits you were doing in the 90s at? at Box and Cause Celeb. You did warn me you were going to ask this question. Yeah, I did. Like, it was the 90s, so I suppose, like, some sort of baggy trouser, Mm -hmm. probably some sort of tight T-shirt. Sounds like what Liam's actually wearing today, interestingly Well, these things, you know, (laughs) these things do go in cycles. (laughs) They do. 
Um, Greg Churchill is someone that you spoke to in mm. in the doco, and Lovely he's guy. he's very much like still around. If you're into house music mm. and you live in Auckland, you've probably seen this dude. Longevity is insane. I've even seen him a couple times, mm. and those times I've seen him, he's playing at Ink Bar. Yep. Um, and I'm interested to know because he he's playing there, and he used to play at these places you're talking about. Do bars like Ink Bar or any other sort of clubs I might not know about in the city sort of reflect those original? days or are the vibes super different what's your opinion it's a really good question i mean like i'm probably not the person to answer because i don't really go clubbing anymore or very 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 neither really if a guy like greg is involved i mean that obviously adds it a lot of legitimacy what i learned about greg is that he was you know down in christchurch championing house music Mm. and he says in the doco he eventually realized that he couldn't do that. He had to come to Auckland. He did say it's different now. You can have a career as a DJ all around the country. But back then, it was so niche. You you had to come to the, the biggest city. Um, and then he's, you know, he went on to have a long tenure at George FM. Mm. He's so well regarded. And, like, honestly, when I'd never met him before. He was just the nicest, uh, most generous guy. Yeah. Um, I have one final question, uh, which is a completely irrelevant to house music and okay. completely irrelevant to the documentary, actually. Okay. Um, Tony, you've actually known me here the longest in our team. Correct. And as of exactly today, we've been working together for three years and two weeks. So okay. pretty cool. So my question Congratulations is... Congratulations for you. hanging in here. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did it. Question is, mm. uh, what was your first impression of me? Did you ever believe I'd reach such dizzying heights as interviewing you, Tony Stamp award-winning music journalist <laughs> on the Tahi. I can actually remember meeting you for the first time. Oh my God. Uh, and my first impression was, I, I can't remember what we talked about, but I do remember thinking this is a, a younger person who is is slightly shy, which might be hard to believe, but that was the case. Um, but just a great vibe. Thank you. I, I like, and I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Like, you, you left... That might have been your interview. You were just getting shown around, and after you left, I was like, "She's great." Oh yeah, I remember, yeah, that was. And I wore my um, I wore my neon orange matching skirt suit. <laughs> Maybe that's what stuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think I, I think I'm just good at reading people. Yeah, I'm being completely sincere. Bit of a vibe reader. Reaction. Yeah. Well, that wraps us up. Thank you so much for joining us. Honored to be here. Thank Stoked you so much. This is, this is honestly the highlight of our year. We've been talking about this for a while. <laughs> Very excited. Tony's full documentary is available on rnz.co.nz right now. Definitely recommend it if you're interested in local music history or if you're a house techno person or if you're like me and dating a house DJ. I highly recommend checking it out. And um, thank you, Tony. You do so much work for uh, the local music scene. You put so oh, much shush. money in. And it's like, it's just awesome. We think you're the man. Thank you. You're like our favorite guy. It's mutual. Yeah, yeah. High five. Woo. (laughs) Yeah. How good having Tony Stamp? That has been a a long term serviceable objective of the Tahi has been. You could almost argue we made this podcast just so we could potentially one day hang out with Tony Stamp. A hundred percent. Tony is awesome. My favorite thing about Tony is. With his job being like a music reviewer, mm. a film reviewer, he could legally and like legally be the most pretentious person you'd ever met in your life. And he'd be allowed to be. Yeah. But he's not. He's, he's not. so open minded. He's never like turning his nose up at any style of music mm. or any like film or anything. He's incredible. And he does so much mahi for New Zealand music. I um uh, Tony's like I don't even know how to explain it to people. I was trying to explain it to my partner. Tony's like 
Tony is one of those people who just is, is such a energy to them that you're just attracted to. You want to hang out with him. Mm. You want to be befriend. He's just such a warm spirit. Like you just can't help but like gravitate to him. Also, he got a nice new haircut. Yeah, he did get a nice. He new looks haircut. fresh, looks dude. Fresh. Yeah. Although all those foreign films. All those foreign films got him looking real snazzy. Um, <laughs> but in other news, outside of Tony-based news. If I could talk about Tony all day, I would, but there's we something would. more pressing, uh, which was on Tuesday, a pig got loose on Auckland's Northwestern Motorway and uh, brought traffic to a standstill. Mm. Um, and there was just, they couldn't get it. They couldn't they couldn't get this pig and who's running they? around. Sorry? And who's they? The, <laughs> the police. The police, everybody. Uh, it was the actually police. Waka Kotahi. <laughs> oh, really? They sent the traffic? They oh. sent Waka Kotahi down there and they set traps by the motorway and most they were all unsuccessful. And then the pig made a reappearance uh, the next morning in Tiara 2. <laughs> Holy, it travelled, eh? And they just, like, they they had to block the motorway. And this is a quote uh, from a spokesperson who said, the naughty piggy is very smart. He or she is still on the run and evading capture. So the chase continues. Evading capture evading is capture. so good. Um, I think it's very New Zealand to just have a loose animal blocking traffic. Um, but my favourite thing about it was the, did you see the graphic that RNZ posted about oh, the Oh, yeah, thing? it was like somebody drew like a... <laughs> it was a, like a screen grab of the area on maps with a blue line drawn around the, around the area where they saw the pig plus an emoji of the pig. Yeah, some real high-intensity journalism. Because how else do you... How else, I mean, it's... how else do you show a graphic of a pig that's blocking traffic? I don't know how else you do that. One of my favourite memories is, like, an episode... It's the only good Police 10-7 moment was um, watching cops for, like, four hours strapped to the teeth, guns out, chasing a little sheep around because it was blocking like a motorway like in a rural area and the cops are like chasing it down like gunned up and I like they just couldn't get it and I was just like like, I love our beautiful country so much oh it's so yeah I love that like everyone would have also been so peed off about mm. getting stuck in traffic like in the morning because everyone's peed off already about being stuck in traffic but then when you find out it was just a little pig going on a journey you're like all oh, right yeah oh, that's funny nah, like, don't worry about let it. him do it let him do it um i remember when i was living in korea people used to show they um show me videos of like you know those clips you see of like sheep blocking the road somewhere yeah. rural and they were showing me like does this happen in new zealand is this real and i was like yeah girl very, very real. Yeah. Very real. Yeah, we actually, they're protected animals in New Zealand. Sheep. Girl. <laughs> we eat them. <laughs> we have street signs that tell you that there's, like, animals that die. It's, it'll just be, like, animals crossing, and you're just like, what? Or it's just a picture of a horse. Yeah, and it's just like, hey, It doesn't hey, say, like, look I, out. I drove through the Tiara Widows once, and there's just, like, just cows and horses on the road. Just chilling. Wandering about. And I was like, yeah, and I was like, I cannot hit one of these things. I yeah. was so scared because I was like, I cannot hit one of these things. And they'd walk out in front because it's like some of the things probably never seen a car before. Right? <sighs> like they just actually been in the wilderness that long. I was like, oh, God. Like I'm... a wild horse for the first time seeing a car. I went through the Tiura. We'll save this story for another day, but I went through it by accident. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. an interesting story for another day. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing about the details of that on Tuesday, actually. My uh, greatest advice in life is to always check when the uh, GPS tells you it has a faster route. Ah, yes. Yeah. Stay vigilant, everybody. <laughs> a 
as you may have heard, uh, the ongoing actors and writers strike in America is going ahead and doesn't really look like it's stopping anytime soon. No. Um, I'm sure we all remember the strikes of yesteryear when Heroes got ruined and Lost got really bad and Pushing Daisies got cancelled. Mm. So it's it's tough times. Things can go really wrong. Really Things can go wrong. really wrong. You know when like, Lost was about people surviving from a plane crash? It was, the writer's strike is when things, when everyone started to go, what is happening on Lost? There's another island? Yeah. yeah, that was, I don't care what anyone says about Lost. It was good the first season, then it was bad. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of shows, a lot of movies affected by the strike. A lot of things are on hold or like postponed indefinitely mm. and uh luckily for them they need a writer we're here to save the me day. and Sormala are here to uh let you guys know what we think should happen in some of these affected shows uh mm. one of them for me is uh, Abba elementary big fan of Abba Great elementary show. uh wonderful show i think if it's up to me i'm in the writer's room now season two janine gets the ability to talk to the dead mm. and that becomes a really strong aspect of the show like ghost whisperer but it's it's a fun little show about a school, and it's it's really cute. But there's ghosts now. That's my that's really my idea. shifts the 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 energy. Yeah, the, it's know, a bit of an energy change. But I mean, you know, if you want me as a writer, that's what I'm suggesting. You got any ideas for Abbott Elementary? No, just for any of these cancelled shows and movies. Well. Uh, as a Pacific Islander, everyone knows uh, Avatar 1 and Avatar 2 um, uh, are held near, near and dear to our heart because um, we just think they're so appropriate. Mm. Um, very respectful. Yeah, very respectful of our cultures. Um, and uh, Avatar 3, 4, and 5 are currently held up on production, so I'm proposing some ideas. We've had People of the Jungle. We've had People of the Water. I'm thinking Avatar 3, Flying People. Mm. Avatar 4, uh uh, fire people, I don't know, they live in a volcano or something like yep, that. Yep. Uh, Avatar 5, uh, they go to space. Space people. I like that. Yeah, I mean, they're already essentially in space and there's space travel, but I think there should be, like, space people. Like, they live on an asteroid or something Hot like aliens. That. Hot aliens! Hotter oh. aliens! Yeah, there you go, I like that. Bringing it back full circle. Another show that is affected is another show that I love, House mm. of the Dragon. Uh, the Game of Thrones prequel. Obviously, it's already been written, so we all, all know what happens. But based on the original Game of Thrones series, these writers might do whatever they feel like doing and do whatever they want. So they don't have any on-set writers um, at the moment. They're doing it anyway. Um, and I think I've got some ideas if they need some help. Um, I mean, on that show, everyone's marrying everybody. Mm. Um, it gets really weird, as we all know. I think in, in the next season, um, Damon marries me and Rhaenyra marries a dragon because they've done every type of weird marriage get-together situation you could think of on that show. Mm. Why not go to the next level and have it be a dragon thing? And then I get to marry Damon. Even though he's like evil and gross, he's really hot. Um, that's my thoughts. Season two of House of Dragon. Nice. I like it. It's within the realm of possibility. 100%. 100%. Any other shows you got in mind? Uh, yes, Emily and Perry is also on hold. Um, I don't know what the writers really do on that. Yeah, to I was going to be, I was like, they have writers? Yeah, I know. I thought they just sort of showed up and vibed. Yeah. Um, but no, they do actually have a whole writing staff. And I think for the next season, like, let's mix it up. Let's make it different. I reckon Emily moves to Samoa. And she's still trying to do her influencer thing, but you're in it. And so Omalo's like the new villain. And he's like, no, you can't be an influencer. Get out of here. And you guys beef? But it's in Samoa and it's like really pretty. And we create more like representation in that show. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, white salmon beefing with a white lady from Paris. <laughs> I would Great watch that show, actually. Would you watch that show? Yeah, probably. I mean, like, it's like uh, reverse gentrification, like decolonization, if I were to win. So, like, really, it's like a villain you could root for. I like that. Yeah. It's like, it's more complicated. It goes deeper. Currently, the story maybe isn't that deep, but maybe we take it there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, she's, like, taking photos of, like, uh, she's like, oh, no, the poor salmons, they're so poor and sad. And everyone's just like... We're happy. Yeah, We're not, go get uh, out. You you have a misunderstanding. Your Western ideology of what's uh, uh, poor or low income is different from what we, you know. And there'll be like a lot of like really. Like I'm not gonna get into it. Yeah. <laughs> I can already but, see this. No, but, but I can. I'm envisioning. You're seeing it, right? I'm envisioning the show. Emily and Samoa. It's got a ring to it. It's right? got a ring to not it. Really. It doesn't rhyme, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because I thought it was Emily in Paris, and that doesn't rhyme either, does it? <laughs> and that show sucks. <laughs> like, um, like, how is it so bad? I quite like having it on in the background. <laughs> I like the outfit. Is it, is it? Is that show that you put on where you're like doing something else, and you just want some noise? Yeah, is it it's that company show? for me. Me and yeah, my friend Emily, yeah, yeah. who I don't really like. <laughs> uh, but if any of your shows are on hold, uh, let us know, and we'll provide. A new storyline for, for you yeah we're really into it right now we're writers yeah. now you know what um shocked me but before we end this um there's some like reality television shows on the <laughs> that are affected by the writer strike and yeah. I, cracked, I was like oh Ooh, i don't know if you guys are supposed to announce that you have writers for that <laughs> you wouldn't as someone who knows a lot about reality tv you wouldn't believe how many writers are on some of those shows oh yeah some of because the, the people on them sometimes they write themselves like mm. real housewives beverly hills lisa Renner doesn't need a writer She'll say whatever she wants. But then other Real Housewives franchises whose names will not be mentioned, um, yeah, they got to write them all to make them interesting. I could do that as a job. Mm. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm out. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And now, in a shocking twist that no one could have ever possibly seen coming. Breaking news. Um, an Auckland renter is calling for more accountability for property managers after discovering that her flat had failed the government's healthy home standards even after the agent told her that it had passed. Um, she moved into a Mount Eden flat. She paid her deposit. She did all the filling out of the millions of forms. And she found it was damp, it was droughty, and it was covered in mould and was clearly in breach of standards. Mm. There's some pictures on this article in RNZ where they've pulled up the carpet a bit and it's just black mould. This person became very worried about the situation and she was like, I'm not moving in here. Mm. So she was having to pay double rent, $300 at at two different places, just to have somewhere warm and safe to stay. And the other people she was on the lease with, they weren't so lucky. They didn't have the finances or the means to double rent, so they had to stay in this house. Mm. Um, they're now at the tribunal to figure out what's going to happen. Uh, but the property managers said this has passed healthy home standard and it hadn't. So they're calling for more uh, enforced compliance. Mm. Uh, the Green Party agrees. Chloe Swarbrick agrees. Uh, the other parties, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Act believes that uh, you know moves like this to sort of enforce these healthy home standards are vilifying landlords. Whereas uh, the National Party's most recent uh, policy uh, update on renters was that people could take out their KiwiSaver to pay their bond. Mm. So I've lived in some mouldy, mouldy flats. I mean, I am from Wellington. I've seen some mould, girl. I've seen some mould. If you've rented a home in New Zealand, you've probably seen some mould. 
Right. Mm. I find it quite interesting uh, as well because over the last few years, different standards have come in for property managers, property management companies and landlords where first they can't ask you as much as they used to ask you. You mm. used to have to give them your banking information and yeah, your three months of transactions. You don't need to know how much Uber Eats I'm getting. This is a house. Yeah. Like, it's. I'm going to order Uber Eats to it. Like, it's nothing to do with you. Can't do that anymore. But mm. what these reports are saying and what a lot of young people are reporting is that they are actually still happening. Mm. They are still being asked to provide this information. And then they're being told, oh, yeah, the house is healthy, and it's not. Mm. So what do you do? Yeah. Uh, the answer is not buy a home, because uh, who can? You know? Um, I can't. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, like, growing up, it was like, bro, I just need somewhere to live. Like, I put up with a lot. Mm. I, like, just will put up with anything because I'm just like, I just need somewhere to live. Like, it's like, oh, man, like, the, the, I've had black mold growing in, like, the roofs of my bedrooms and things like that. And it's just like, if I debate this, I'm probably going to have to move. And I don't want to move. I just want to stay somewhere for longer than a year. Where I've been living now is the longest I've lived in the same place in one continuous sitting, and it's three years. Mm. I've moved so much. Same. And, like, I don't think I've ever had, like, a particularly pleasant experience. I've had good, like, uh, property managers, mm. but the landlords have always been, in my experience, have been difficult. I struggled with both sides of, with property managers and with mm. landlords at different times. I think that something that none of these policies address is that power imbalance that's there, yeah. which is what you mean, right? Of you, if you even if you move into a house, you realize, hey, this doesn't actually pass healthy home standards. But you need somewhere to live. A lot of the time, people are really scared to kick up at the tribunal because it's where you live. Mm. You know, having a dispute with your landlord could mean that you're out at the end of the year. Most of these, uh, most flats, most of flatting situations, it's a one-year lease. Mm. Um, that's pretty common practice. They don't have to renew you for that second year. So if you kick up a fuss all year, technically, this landlord could just not give you the next year yeah. if they wanted. And so that power imbalance creates this thing where even when we set up these pathways to help renters you know, fight for their rights, mm. it doesn't actually always work out in their favour. Mm. And I think that's, I think that's part of the issue. I'm not a politician or a policymaker mm. or um, anything like that. But I just, uh, let's, let's not live in mould. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's too much to ask to have like a healthy, warm, dry home. There's also 1.5 million renters in New Zealand. That's a lot of people. It's a, it's a lot. lot of people. And, yeah. And that's in New Zealand or just in Auckland? In New Zealand. Okay. I was yeah, 1.5. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be all of Auckland. Auckland all of Auckland. Almost, How many people yeah. in Auckland now? I think there's close to two mil nowadays. Oh. Yeah, I think. I think because uh, the Auckland boundaries confuse me sometimes. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that homes are a, a, a human right and uh, we should all have accessibility to a healthy home, a safe home, and we should all be able to rest our heads at night with little to no stress. Very radical opinion there, sort of, Marlo. Uh, it is election year, so we'll be keeping you updated on policies like this so you can understand them as best as you can when you go into the polling day. Um, if stuff like this affects you, give us a DM, and we're happy to try and find the answers to questions for you, get all the information you need. Or 
facts. He needed someone who knows more. Yeah. Joining us on the show today, my illustrious guest, one half of the duo, Haz and Milou. I have Milou. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. It's um, I've been enjoying your music for the last couple of years, especially you and Haz's collabs, and it's really cool to, I was saying before we started recording, it's really cool to get the opportunity to sit down in Kuridor with you and get to know a bit more about you. Congratulations on the release of the Brunette EP. Thank you. Woo! It's exciting. It must be happy. It must be a good uh, relieving feeling to finally have it out. It feels great. It's been yeah. We've been sitting on this one for about three and a half years, I think. Gee, so this um, was really when Blonde came out. Pro- yeah, we pretty much we <laughs> <laughs> we write fast. So by the time Blonde was finished, um, we'd already started. We had we usually have a folder of I don't know a gazillion demos. Mm. Um, and so once we released Blonde and it kind of went so well, we we're like, right, let's record the next one um, and chose our six favourite tracks, which I think we picked well. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah I, um, I was telling you, uh, I was writing a review for it and I almost wanted to write a whole review of just one of the singles on there, one of the songs. And that is the sixth song, Peace. <laughs> Unreal. I couldn't Thank like you. just... Um, I hate when I can't sing along to a song generally, but like because you're like very talented, like you can't hit, like you can't hit those notes. Like try and sing along to that song. When it comes to cutting down all of those songs that you have to six, how long of a process was that? Yeah, actually, that was probably the longest process for the project. Um, is kind of deciding which ones we like best. For me, I mean, Has is great. He kind of gives me the space to decide. It's more about what message do I want to put out. Like which songs are more personal to me, because mm. um, he likes all of them. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was quite nice just to go through and those were the ones we came up with. And interestingly, most of the tracks that made it onto the EP were some of the first demos that we did. Oh, wow. Um, so we kind of did a bunch of others after that that just didn't quite have the same... Um, I guess it's just writing so fresh off the first... off the tail of the first EP. Mm. Um, yeah, so... So about that growth because I feel like I can hear growth between the two albums or the two EPs what changed over the two three years between releases I think for me the main thing would be we became much more comfortable with each other personally as well as musically Mm. and so this EP is a lot closer to our own roots musically like things that we really are into Um, So I personally was able to explore more like my kind of uh, soul R&B side, um, more jazz, got like a bit grittier and a bit more complex without feeling like I was overstepping. Mm. And same with Haz, like he did a lot more stuff that was, I don't know, it just felt like it came a lot more naturally to both of us. And so that was probably the main difference. Obviously Blonde was still very personal and very um, in our own style, but I think this time we just felt so comfortable around each other that we could just splat all these ideas together and they sat very naturally. So, What in yeah. particular do you think changes with the process of making music when you really have that trust and that cohesion with your team? What do you think in particular, what dynamic changes? For me, like vocally, I felt a lot more free. So like you're talking about peace, that those are vocals that I usually wouldn't branch out to do Mm. too much Um, like a lot more of the high stuff Mm. and the runs and I just felt a lot more comfortable to experiment a bit more and maybe be a bit more showy than I usually am Mm. which was really cool Um, and I think yeah for Haz we were able to delve deeper into like finding really crazy samples or um, bringing up beats that maybe he'd worked on years and years ago but never kind of um, utilised before so yeah I felt very special getting to go into the deep into the library and has his computer yeah, <laughs> and just being yeah. able to like grab out 
Um, so yeah, I think it brought out something in both of us that maybe an elevated version of our own musicality in a way, which is really cool. What mm. is it like working with Haz? Because that is a man who has a, a a resume that reads like a top five list. Like, yeah. <laughs> he really is a, a pioneer of the scene. Like, what's that experience like working with him? To be honest, I get asked this a lot, and I think people assume that it maybe was a bit intimidating at first, but I've mm. only ever felt comfortable with Haz. Mm. Um, even when we first met, we actually met through email, and then we linked up in the studio to do Blonde, basically, after oh, wow. just a couple of weeks of emailing each other tracks. I just find him really open and really um, very open to sharing, very open to listening. Haz has never criticised a single thing I've done. If, if there's something he doesn't like, he's very good with critical feedback mm. in in a really kind, constructive way. But we had we hardly have ever had that. I don't know what it is, but there's something magical about when we sit together and write, it just falls into place. And it's very easy, like if there's a track we've started and we both kind of sense that it's not the one, mm. we'll just look at each other and be like, next, and just delete it, get rid of it. Mm. Um, yeah, there's never been a crossover, like we've never had been at odds with each other, mm. ever. So I love working with him, it's like magic. It's just so easy. Um, obviously, yeah, his has is like a legend and incredible producer, um, but he is—he's just a sweetie. I don't know. I've never felt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I've not. I've like I, I've met Has numerous times over the years, especially when, when I first started in radio, and even when I was bouncing on K Road and things like that in Ponsonby. I've met Has, and he's always been nothing but kind to me, and and I really appreciate somebody who is not only a amazing musician but also like a genuinely kind person is like yeah you know it feels like it shouldn't be too much to ask for but he, <laughs> he's, he's you know he's great at that um uh it's a yeah it's it, i think it's a collab made in heaven the two of you it just it makes it might not make sense on paper i think maybe but like if you you listen to it and you think man i just couldn't get much better than that yeah um how how because you said that this this album was created about two, three years ago. So we're talking COVID. COVID, We're yep. talking lockdown period. How was that for you? Because I'm interested to see that, like, uh, we had Church come through a couple months ago from Church and AP, and his latest project he'd been sitting on since he made it during the first lockdown. And it's interesting to still see artists releasing music and still being affected or inspired by that period. What was lockdown like for you, and how did that affect the Brunette AP? Um, yeah, well, I guess the, this EP actually pretty much got me through that first lockdown. Um, I personally was in a very <laughs> rundown, I'd come back from traveling, uh, working overseas and taken up an offer of a friend to take his old room in this villa in, um, Freeman's Bay and the rent was real good. I was like, this will be sweet. Um, it was one of those old beautiful villas that was probably amazing, like, 40 years ago but it was like on a slant at this point oh, and the wind comes up through the floorboards underneath and like mold in the corner <laughs> on the roof yeah yeah i know exactly that um place. so that's where i was luckily with another really good friend tim but yeah it was just kind of the two of us knocking around this big old house and um luckily i had my studio all set up and has was just sending me beats every other day folders of stuff and that just gave me something to come back to and work on and play around with mm. and um, yeah, it was kind of like the golden light of that time. Mm. And I was able to, I mean, a lot of these songs are basically me writing letters to Haz from like the other side of the city. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
And it was a very introspective time, I guess, for everyone because we were stuck inside, mm. you know, with nothing to do. Um, apart from, like, beer and I played a lot of Spyro as well. You got quite good at that. But um, it was kind of a funny time because you got to really think about the relationships in your life or things that you'd been up to the last couple of years and just have that total silence and stillness to actually contemplate that and maybe think a bit about... I mean, I got quite deep in my feelings during lockdown, so I was like, who am I? Like, what do I want to do? Mm. If this ever ends, like, where am I going after this? Mm. Um, So the songs that we... Sorry. Did end up using... um, Yeah, they're all kind of little snapshots from that time. Mm. Um, which is funny now because there are a couple of songs on there. There's like two little love songs and it's been now kind of such a long time that I look back and think about who those songs were written about and it's actually quite funny to me. <laughs> so I'm like, ooh. Um, funny that like you made a love song for them or just like the content of the... Just that I made a love song for them. Like it's just not a thing anymore. <laughs> but... <laughs> you didn't age that well, eh? No. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. No, it's um, it's interesting to see that, and I think everyone had their unique experiences. And I mean, it's 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 cool to see that you found something positive to bring out of COVID. I too had many a existential crisis <laughs> yeah. during lockdown. I don't think who didn't, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, moving on from the Brunette EP, what is next for you and Has? Is there new music on the way? Is there a tour? I mean, I know you just released last week, <laughs> but I like, like you know, like when, sometimes I'll hear an album and I'll just go, man, that's great, but I just want more because it's so good. <laughs> like, what's next? Are you already planning on new music or are you just like, let's take some time off? Um, yeah, no, I'm actually heading back to the studio this afternoon. To oh, see. <laughs> that's why I love um, No, we've been writing for the last three years non-stop. So we've got a big... In fact, what we're kind of working on at the moment is <clears throat> narrowing that down again because mm. um, we would happily just every week sit in has a studio and write demos and just keep doing that forever, to, like, infinitely. Mm. But we kind of need to start narrowing it down again. So, um, yeah, we, we're really keen to do another project and maybe um, more of, like, a full-length album type mm. of deal and... Uh, maybe looking more into... We had a couple of session musicians on this EP, um, which was fabulous. Chip Matthews, Adam Fur, and... Who else did we have? It's okay. It's very early in the morning. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Frank Keys. Doi. Oh. Who's, like, the most important one. Frank, who did... Um, who also worked on Blonde with us. is an amazing, amazing writer and keys player. Mm. Um, but, yeah, for an album, it would be really cool to look more into... Um, I love doing instrumental arrangements as well, mm. like maybe kind of branching out a bit on that end. Um, so, yeah, we're just keen to keep creating as long as people want to listen. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, don't worry. I think I think, I think think that you and Hazel created something really timeless. I think that there's nothing there that feels stamped to a certain period of time or sounds sonically i think that like uh, listening to the brunetti EP, they thought yeah this will be a timeless album i think the two of you have masterfully curated this listening experience uh the brunetti ep it's out now it's available on all streaming platforms all streaming platforms yep and where is the best place for our listeners to keep up to date with you and your collabs with has um probably our instagram mm-hmm. which is just has and me lou i think um yeah wonderful that's us yeah thank you so much for joining us on the show today we really thank appreciate you for your having time. me thank you getting back on with the show 
The Netball World Cup 2023. I know we've been talking a lot about the FIFA World Cup, uh, but the Netball World Cup is also kicking off. Uh, It started, I think, last week? Yeah, last week, the 28th of July. It's in Cape Town in South Africa, running right on through till the 6th of August, so this Saturday. It has been awesome. Uh, Donga has been... Um, I think they made history with their first win against Fiji in an international game, which is incredible stuff. Um, It's cool to see another, like, uh, I think sometimes I forget how popular netball is. Netball's really popular. It's huge in New Zealand. It's really big in New Zealand. It's that weird thing. I think it's different now, but, like, when I was growing up, it was very much, like, the boys play rugby and the girls play netball. Yeah. And, like, that was sort of the setup. I didn't do either. I played I played football because I had to be different. <laughs> um, and also, I was so bad at netball that they asked me and my sister to just stop coming to trainings because mm. we just were both... Well, she was better than me, but not by a lot. Yeah. Well, we're not athletically gifted in my family. <laughs> I remember watching my um, cousin play. She was playing for Calston at the time, and I watched her elbow a girl in the face. And I remember thinking, like, oh, yeah, this is women's rugby. Like, I was like, this is ruthless. Like, this, this is hard yak. I have a friend, shout out to Aria, um, who netball is a contact sport to her, and watching her play is crazy. She will, like, throwing elbows, mm. throwing, and she's yelling at people. Yeah. It was great. Um, but I was really excited about the Netball World Cup because it's just, like, really fun, and I like to see women win at sports. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool to see two major sporting events happening that are female-focused. Yeah, we just got to keep watching them. It's, it's also, uh, the only thing that I think is a bit of a shame is that they coincide together. Yeah. Could have been handled, I feel like, a little bit better. They could have, like, one after the other or something like that. No one really called time. each other and were like, hey, when are you guys doing But as one? a result, like, the Nipple World Cup has not gotten as much publicity as the FIFA World Cup because I didn't even know it was on. I knew it was on. I shouldn't know when it started. Like, you're right. I yeah. feel like I got quite caught up in the football FIFA, World Cup. Yeah. and kind of missed the beginning. But um, very keen to keep watching. I think yeah. Nipple's one of those ones where it's, like, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, always really strong. Mm. Um, and our team are great. And I find it, we were talking about this earlier, actually. I find mm. it interesting that, like, in my personal opinion, I think the dresses are really slay and they look really cool. But I think <laughs> it's really weird that they have to wear dresses. Yeah, this feels like a sport that you could totally do in you a could do it in a leg. Yeah. You could do it in a leg. I don't know why. Like, I like, the, I, I, personally, I would go with the mm. little dress because it's slay and I also don't know how to play. So I don't mm. know if it's actually restrictive at all. But it's very stark going from the football Women's World Cup where they are dressed the same as the dudes will be dressed. Yeah. And then you go to the netball one and they're all in a little dress. Yeah. Oh, and then make that jump to volleyball. Oh, my God. But and that was a whole like, thing at the Olympics, yeah, you remember? Yeah. And they all got fined because they were like, girl, I'm not going to wear the little shorts. Yeah. I'm not going to wear a bikini uh, yeah. to show up at the Olympics. Yeah. Which is like, yeah. 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 Yeah, so, I mean, um, yeah. I'm actually really interested to know what people think about the dresses. I might get on to asking some people about that. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear what people think yeah, of what they think they, they should change. I mean, I could understand them being very comfortable to play in. I don't know if they are, though. I don't know. Again, really bad at netball. Wouldn't be able to answer that question. We're going to have to find someone who knows. Yeah, we're going to have to ask somebody who actually is, understands this. Yeah, and has would, would I look them. great in one of those little dresses, though? Absolutely. I, I would, too. I would look very cute. Oh, man, my tattoo would be... Out. You know, out. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah they're kind of slated. <laughs> yeah, right? See, I'd be, yeah, 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 yeah. We're joined by Liam. It is Liam's last show. It is my last show. What are your thoughts, feelings, emotions? I'm actually just really tired, eh? It is quite early. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so many other things. <laughs> yes, I, I mean... So many other things I could say. Yeah, no, I'm sad. I was walking away at 20 and I took a video and said it to my friend and I was like, I'm going to go make my last TikToks for this podcast today. <sighs> Feeling really sad about it. Who are you going to miss more, me or Sormalo? So, no, you. So, yeah, me. Yeah. Because you poached me. I did. Hehe. <laughs> shame sore. <laughs> I, that I was help, the bit. I, I helped hire you. I just wanted to say. I just wanted to say shame sore. That was it. <laughs> I, I like, help. <laughs> I help hire you. Hell, you. Like, I am half the reason you're here. <laughs> yeah, Liam did interview me. Half the reason I'm in here. I can. I can. I can. Look, it's your last day. It's my last so day. I can say whatever I want. Whatever. We'll correct it next week. If yeah. We need to. No. Yeah. We can work. As soon as you're to. gone, I'm bad mouthing you. As soon Go as you. As it. soon as you leave, I'm gonna be like, it's so good to be rid of Liam. Oh, this is making me sad. Don't say that. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> sad. I'm just gonna be like, if like things aren't done, I'm just gonna be like, oh man. Oh, yeah, Liam was supposed today. to do that before they left. Like, yeah, I can't wait to blame stuff on you once you're gone. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm gonna That's not gonna, reply yeah. to emails and then people are gonna you. people are gonna be like, oh man, like who, Evie's desk, all those cups. Liam, why'd you? Put <laughs> Liam left <laughs> all of <laughs> their cups on now Evie's desk. Now they're hot desk, and be like, oh my god, why is all this stuff on Liam's <laughs> desk? I thought they quit. Don't get me started on the hot desk game. Oh, uh, it sucks that you're leaving. How long? Have, how long have we had the show going for now? Since April. Since April. Was how many months is that? Somebody Don't ask tell me. me. A few. A few. A few. It's been a few months with you. Five, six, four, five. Four or five. Four, four, I don't know, four, you know, I don't know three. how, like, the Gregorian calendar works. To the white man's calendar. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Well, we're going to miss you. Um, would you look into the camera and say a heartfelt goodbye to the audience and to your fellow team members? Please, Liam. The there it is. Scary. I'm pointing at it. It's the right there. It's like, it's like a gun's being pointed at my, at my head. Do it. Like mm. being held get sentimental. I don't know Tell how to get sentimental. I'm a Gemini. I can't do sentimental. That's something you need to work on. Yeah. Being a Gemini is something you need to work on. <laughs> um, goodbye, everyone. I am... I don't like looking down the camera. I'm going to look at Harry. Goodbye, Harry, and everyone else on the team, and Evie and Saul, and um, Tony Stamp. Oh my god, Tony, I'm leaving Tony. You're yeah. leaving Tony. Everything is really sad. I'm leaving Tony. Yeah. Mm. I know. I would never want to leave Tony no. either. I would never leave Tony. Yeah. I'll be annoying him for eternity. <laughs> yeah. like, I won't be, I, I'm leaving him in a professional sense, but on a personal level, I will be annoying <laughs> the living shit out of him until the day that either of us die. Mm. Um, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss I'm you sad. too. I'm going to miss... Um, coming in at six in the morning and laying on the ground, um, picking an outfit to wear to work every day. That's like the the joy of my life. It's like picking a picking cute, out an outfit. cute outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My school girl outfit. Mm, favorite. My favorite Leah memory is when you showed up on Halloween painted blue and no <laughs> no one was here. No one else dressed up for Halloween and only two people came to the office and Liam was painted oh blue. Oh my god! Yeah. It was so funny. Made a whole vlog about it. It was a whole thing. Blue. And Leah was like, "You're not gonna believe my outfit today." And I was like, "Girl, you painting yourself blue?" And you were like, "No." no and then showed up painted blue, that. and I was like, "No one else is doing this." I was crying, laughing. On Sorry. the bus and blue face. Yeah, paint. yeah, I was gonna say public transport. Oh. Oh, what's your favorite? memory of me um i mean between uh nearly falling over you because you were lying on the floor somewhere random mm-hmm. 
covering for you when you said you were sick, mm-hmm. but you weren't. You were like yeah, at the gym or something like that. Um, that happened one time. <laughs> um, uh, all your cool hats. Oh no! That one time, that one time, that artist said they liked your shirt, and your shirt said something really inappropriate. The amount of times you've worn, <laughs> the amount of time, the amount of times that Liam has worn an inappropriate shirt around people who probably you shouldn't wear an inappropriate shirt around. Hilarious! That is a that is a highlight. Can for we me. get Harry in the room real quick? I need Harry to tell me his favorite memory of me. Come on, we don't have all day, Harry. Get this out of the way now, so we don't have to do it at lunch tomorrow. Okay. Would you always stand awkwardly close to this microphone and camera? Just get on the mic. There you go. Sit Whoa. on his lap. Oh, yeah, Santa. Christmas. This chair will not I don't know, hold yeah. <laughs> I don't know that's appropriate for public broadcasting. Okay. Okay. Favorite Liam memory. Oh, yeah, nice. Uh, probably every morning walking into the studio, and there's a little, like, window into our studio where you can see who's in the room. And I, But is that, like face level when people are sitting down. So I look in, I see Evie sitting on the couch, I see Solo sitting on the chair, I'm like, oh, wonder if Liam's not in yet, can't see them. And then I, like, almost trip over Liam, <laughs> because Liam's just spread out on the floor, having a wee lie down, which I kind of relate to, because a lot of the times when I'm showering, I just sit at the bottom of the shower and let the hot water <laughs> hit my head. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss um, almost tripping on... Uh, a corpse when I walk into the studio. Yeah, a corpse. Well, with that, with that. we will wrap up. Uh, slay all day, Liam. We we'll love you. Continue we'll to miss slay you. Every day. Um, all right. And now we say. Until we see you. Kakis. I'll see you next Tuesday. It's like How my do you thing. always forget your <laughs> favourite thing? It's my thing, and I forget every time. It's all fast, before. Bye.